they are Christians. They they really believe in their Christianity. It's just that they are woefully wrong because they've embraced the nationalism piece and they've embraced it very hard. From Interfaith Alliance, this is The State of Belief. I'm Interfaith Alliance President Reverend Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch in New York City. One of the most memorable voices featured in the new Christian nationalism documentary, God and Country, is that of Dr. Anthea Butler, an expert on the intersection of evangelical Christianity and racism in this country. On this week's show, we'll get her thoughts on the challenges faced by our democracy and organized religion itself in light of the ongoing evolution of American Christian nationalism. As we celebrate the 18th anniversary of The State of Belief, I want to make sure you're subscribed to the next generation of The State of Belief podcast. Please visit stateofbelief.com slash new podcast. You'll hear this episode in full as well as recent interviews with Rabbi Sharon Browse, Rain Wilson, Bishop William Barber, Imam Abdullah Antepli, as well as Rob Reiner and Dan Partland talking about their documentary, God and Country, which features today's guest, Anthea Butler. And coming soon, best-selling author Tim Alberta, whose latest book is titled The Kingdom, The Power, and the Glory, American Evangelicals in an Age of Extremism. It would really help us to have you subscribe, rate, and tell the people you're close to about what you're hearing. The State of Belief is made possible in great part by the generous support of our listeners. If you've made a donation, thank you for helping get these conversations heard by more people who need them. If you haven't pitched in yet, information on how to do that is available at stateofbelief.com. And you can find out more about the work of Interfaith Alliance and join us at interfaithalliance.org. And now to my guest. Dr. Anthea Butler is a leading scholar of African-American religion and history, nationalism, race, politics, and popular culture. The author of White Evangelical Racism, The Politics of Morality in America, Dr. Butler is featured in the new documentary film God and Country, where she sounds a warning about the direction blind Christian nationalism is taking this country and how hard it may be to ever come back. Anthea Butler is Geraldine R. Siegel, Professor in American Social Thought and Chair of the Department of Religious Studies at the University of Pennsylvania. Anthea, welcome back to the State of Belief. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Glad to be back. This is thrilling. I, you know, I'm a huge fan of your work. I follow you everywhere. If you're looking for an intelligent, trustworthy source of information about religion and uh, society, religion in America, race, please follow Anthea Butler. She's 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 does social media, although hopefully she takes a couple breaks once in a while for her mental health. But you are the for me like the definition of someone who is a professor and also for the people. And it's so important in this time that we have that mixture from the academy. Where do you come from? Like, what is your roots? Before we get into a lot of what we're going to get into, it would just be really interesting, I think, for our listeners to know what your background is and what you bring to all the work that you do. This is an interesting question because people always ask me where I come from and why do I know 
what I'm writing about. And it's part of personal experience and part of it is about history. I grew up Catholic in Texas. I have a Holy Trinity, but it's not the Holy Trinity that most people think. It's Barbara Jordan, Ann Richards, and Molly Ivins. Those Woo! are the women that I look to <laughs> for Powerful. telling the truth. And so I think, you know, for me, um, having been Catholic, gone to an evangelical seminary fuller, and writing about, you know, American evangelicals. Incidentally, I was probably the first person that taught a class on evangelicalism at Fuller, if you can believe that. Because wow. they didn't think anybody needed to know about it. They just thought, we're just evangelicals. We don't have to talk about it. No. I think that's a really interesting place to start because I can see the story clearly. And I think that, you know, looking at African-American history and American religious history in particular gives you a unique perspective to see why we are where we are and, you know, to have reservations about where we might be going. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the, you know, we're one of the most kind of a chilling moments, but truthful moments of this documentary that we're going to talk a little bit about God and country um, was uh, when the interviewer asks you, like, do you feel we're on a precipice? And you say, yes, I do. And and then all of a sudden the stakes become very clear and we all sense it. But I wonder if you might, like, take us back to being in that room when you're presented with all of these questions and then they come, they come with that question. What well, is it like? Now you're going to get a scoop. Ooh, I want a scoop. You're going to get scoop, Paul, because, you know, I kind of fought with everybody in that room at the beginning. And I'm going to tell mm. you why. Mm. They really wanted a very Christian perspective. And what I wanted to give them was a very straightforward kind of academic perspective. It is not to say I'm not a Christian. What it is to say is that we need to take these things seriously. And I felt like, at least on my part anyway, that giving this kind of Christianity is great, but, you know, these people are not Christians message is not was not the way to go. And I think it's not the way to go because they are Christians. They they really believe in their Christianity. It's just that they are woefully wrong because they've embraced the nationalism piece and they've embraced it very hard. And so the reason why I said what I did is because, A, I believe it. I do believe we're on a precipice. Actually, we're hanging on by about a thumbnail right now. Mm. And I don't know how we how we get back from this. I tend to be a little bit more of a pessimist than most people. But I think if you've been paying attention to history... I think we have to realize, you know, that this is a serious moment and that these ideas about Christian nationalism have been with us for a very long time, but they've been activated in a certain type of way with the entrance of Trump and this wholesale um, embrace of Donald Trump and all the nefarious people who are surrounding him. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's another thing that you say, which is helpful, is is like you say, have you been paying attention? Is this Christians being violent like a surprise to you? Look at the history of the church. And, you know, I'll say this as a Baptist minister, like, you know, if you're you know, and this is the reason it's so interesting you say at Fuller. They hadn't taught about their own tradition. I think sometimes you think we need to teach more about our own tradition so that we know where we're coming from and what we're about. And you say, like, the, the history of the church is full of violence. And yes. so to say this is like not Christian is to ignore that part of Christianity. I know I can see the dynamic they were setting up, but mm -hmm. I really appreciate you coming in there with, you know, just saying like this. You can't say these aren't Christians as if it has nothing to do with us. 
You know, I yeah. mean, this is this, you know, and that's the reason there are groups called Christians Against Christian Nationalism who are like saying, actually, this is us. We need to we need to be, you know, recognize that and and come back. And I think I think in part, like, it's so interesting to hear about your history, because I think if you're one, if you're black in Texas, two, if you're black and Catholic in Texas, you are part of a of a set of people who are constantly looking around and saying, what part of us is of them and what part of us are is not or do they decide is not of them? And I think that that gives you an, a really lifelong perspective on things of faith and things of race and things of America. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you don't, you know, you don't become a, a person of faith in this country who is a person of color and not notice the the um the woeful kinds of ways in which the message gets distorted, okay? Mm. And how what they say and what they do are two different things, right? And so, you know, having watched Baptists fight over textbook battles and things in Texas and seeing how that affected how people teach and and what is able to be learned in a classroom and, and right. not learned, I think, you know, for me, it gave me a very keen eye. And so part of the movie, I think, is really important because I know what Dan and them were trying to get to, but to have my voice there is a is a is a counterbalance to mm-hmm. a, a certain kind of narrative, and that counterbalance that narrative is that all Christians aren't bad or aren't you know aren't part of all of this, right? But you know, every day when you embrace this message, and I, I'm gonna be honest here, when you embrace the message of Christianity, you also embrace a you know two thousand years of history, some of it which has been very bad, and you know killed Muslims, you know, killed Jews, run them out of countries, you know, stomped on Native Americans, enslaved African-Americans, made sure that Asian Americans were interred. I mean, I could go on, right? But if, if you want to really do history and grapple with Christianity, you have to grapple with all of it. You cannot yeah. grapple with just a piece of it. No. And, you know, and I think one more thing that's really important to say here, you know, I, I was on leave Back in 2018, 2019, I had a chance to go to Aachen. Now, for most of your people, you're not going to understand why she bring up some town in Germany, right? The reason yeah. why I bring up Aachen is because it was the seat for the the emperor at the time who was crowned by the Pope. And so this marriage of the church and state begins mm. here. And even though we always say there's no church and state. We don't have all of this. I mean, this is the only time I would end up agreeing with Lauren, Lauren Boebert because basically in America, we know about Jefferson's letter to Dan Barry, right? To the congregation of Dan Barry Baptist, but we don't pay attention to it. And right. Christian nationalism, I think is the best way to understand that we have not paid attention to this message and that there is a supposition that this country is supposed to be a Christian nation and everybody else could just, you know, do whatever. But yeah. to, don't don't push up against Christianity is basically the message. Yeah. Well, it's very, you know, and and for those of us, I'll speak for myself, who who do take Christianity seriously, who have spent, you know, my life uh, in the framework and, and yeah. preaching the gospel and all of this. One of the things that, you know, as I like about it is that I feel like I'm always defending my faith against things I'm not doing. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, and, and but 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 it's still my job to push back. And I, I guess, you know, one of the one of the things that hopefully this 
um, this this film will be doing, and you know it's opening this uh, this weekend, and uh, and then we'll be streaming. Is it will raise awareness of the ways that it is being activated right now? And a lot of people did not have the name Christian nationalism. Most people still, if you say that, they're like, wait a second, what do you mean, faithful patriots? Uh, I want to be a faithful patriot. So that's not, you know, we we're trying to figure out what is this particular movement. Um, and where does it come from? And then, like, what is its goals? And I think in that way, you know, you can either read the 20 books that good people have written about it, or you can watch the 90-minute um, documentary. And your voice is such an co- important uh, counterbalance to that. And it's... Uh, and. And, and and it fills it out. And uh, I just really appreciated that. And one of the ways you come at this is because of your book. And that's really important because we, we talk about Christian nationalism, but it's really important to talk about race and Christian nationalism. I mean, it is its foundation in some ways you could write is racism. And and you wrote this book, White Evangelical Racism, The Politics of Morality in America. This came out in 2021. Tell me about that book. Let, let us hear, you know, a little bit more about that book and, and what its messages continue for today. I mean, obviously continuing for today. Yeah. It, it's interesting because the book dropped two months after one six, right? Whew. And I didn't write this book about one six, okay? Because yeah. I didn't know anything about it. I, I just wrote the book during the pandemic in 2020. And what I think people should know is that two things. One is that there's been a project for evangelical historians to valorize evangelicalism in this country, to make that history be a really nice history, a history about, you know, basically... Oh, how great we were. We were into, you know, we wanted to get rid of abortion. We wanted to make sure that um, abolitionism happened. We all did missionary work. We did all stuff. All that's true. It's it's not, I'm not discounting that. All that's true. What I am discounting is the fact that they've whitewashed that whole history and that that whitewash of that history meant that you had to ignore that evangelicals were totally into slavery, that our biggest, you know, white denomination in this country, Southern Baptist Convention, was you know, became a convention because of slavery. And right. and you can't ignore that. You can't can you just say the, that, can you just say one word about that? Because I think that's it. Sure. People don't a lot of people, Southern Baptists don't know their own history. No, and, and, and they you have don't to name it. No, they yeah, don't want well, to. You have to name it because basically the Northern Baptist conventions break up because essentially over the issue of slavery, they break up as whether you can be slaveholders or not. Right. And so the Southerners go and make their own way. And that is the creation of the Southern Baptist convention. That's and right. they held that they you could hold slaves. It's period. I explained this in the first chapter of the book. And right. I think that, you know, a lot of people don't realize, you know, Presbyterian Church of America. Why does it come into being from the Presbyterian Church? Slavery. Slavery mm. is the issue. And so this is one you can look forward and see why, you know, states like Florida don't want you teaching slavery. You have to get permission to do mm. a, a Black History Month thing. This is because they don't want you to know the actual truth about what has happened. Okay. Right. Right. And I think that this is important for people to understand that your very denominations are embedded in issues of race and racism and mm. how they have felt about certain groups, including African-Americans in this country. So what I try to do in the book is do a narrative history, which is a different kind of history than the Mark Knowles and the George Marsdens and all those people who have become famous. And you know some of the popular people who have written about this for a long time. 
And I'm pushing back against those stories because I think it's really important to understand that you can be an evangelical and be critical of the tradition and understand that racism exists and understand that racism is a foundation. And so you don't get surprised when evangelicals vote en masse 78 to 80% for Donald Trump. They right. want whiteness. And yeah. even if you have African-Americans and other people of color there, they want them to become culturally white. That's and right. that is a, that is a big difference. And I think yeah. that's important, you know? Yeah, well, and, I mean, one of the, one just I, I, we're going to hear more about that really important book, White Evangelical Racism, The Politics of Morality in America. But I also think, I just want to lift up... Um, just the the kind of witness of Jamar Tisby in the in the film, yes, and just like absolutely. you know how he he was a uh, you know he he converted, but he converted into kind of a white evangelical church, and he just like he he shared like very like you could see it really pained him like that when when all of a sudden eighty one percent of evangelicals voted for Donald Trump, he was just like you're not taking anything that matters to me seriously in your decisions about about who you want to lead this country. And I just thought that was, you know, you could see there was a, there was like a, his heart has been broken again and again. Yeah. And, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for him, for all the sensitivity he brought to that. But, you know, it was very, very it humanized that story of someone who's kind of stepping into white evangelical spaces uh, and then realizes, oh, wait, this really isn't maybe meant for me. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's true. Jamar's a friend, and I'm sorry for all the things that he suffered at the hands of white evangelicals. Let me just say that up front. Right. I'm really right. sorry about that. Right. But I also think it's the naivete for anybody who is in these churches right now, who is a person of color, to think that you are going to be accepted in the same way because you're not white. And that right. is, the, I mean, I'm sorry, more than Jesus, that is the operational thing in the American context. Mm. And, and that is the operational thing that drives evangelicalism in the American context, whether that's about voting or morality or anything else. That's why it's called the politics of morality in America, because yeah. I think people don't understand that morality is about politics and it's about a certain kind of politics. And mm. if you buy into this whole thing, then you've missed the point of my book. Because yeah. my point in my book is to show how these people have used morality all this time as a shield to blind themselves against the racism and the sexism and the patriarchy and all the bad things that they've done, right? Mm. And, and you talk a little about talk a little bit about some examples of morality that you've. Well, you, I, I you, mean, I think this book. is the, the most is recent issue is how you're dealing with trans people. This oh, is yeah. this is not about you know an issue of we're afraid of somebody going to the bathroom. See, it used to be bathroom stuff. You know, I, I have a really good friend who lost his job with the with the Catholic um, press because of saying something about the bathroom law, just retweeting something about it. OK, mm. and that ended up making him lose his job. But see, the bathroom issue that was in, you know, North Carolina, South Carolina, I can't remember which one it is. It was part of that issue. And so now what we come up to in 2020. 2024 as we're dealing with trans issues you know can people get their get their medicine can people you know how can people trans um students participate in sports and all of this this vilification this creation of of people who are supposed to be vilified because they're not like heterosexual cis people are is ridiculous first of all because this has always existed it's not like it hasn't been there right mm. but all of a sudden they've picked an issue and they've picked a particular group of people to vilify 
right? Or you come at race a different kind of way. You do that through diversity, equity, and inclusion, or you mm -hmm. do it through saying that you don't want to teach you know, certain subjects because it's going to make students feel bad. So all mm -hmm. of this is couched racism, and it's couched in moral issues that are supposed to be there. We know that for years, abortion was the major issue, right? And then when Roe fell, everybody acted there was surprise, and the rest of us who've been studying this were like, didn't you pay attention? Did mm. you see what they were doing? They tell you what they're doing before they do it. And then they mm. do it. And everybody <laughs> pretends to be surprised. This is what gets me. I'm like, can you uh, can you all be this stupid? Can they pull the football from under you 50 million times like Lucy? We're mm. all Charlie Brown trying to hold on. And we keep kicking at the same damn football. And she keeps they keep snatching it away from us. Mm. Uh, I, I, this is really, that's an amazing metaphor. I do think like in some ways the, the football is religion. You know, and yeah. they keep on, you know, they keep on like saying, okay, you know, all we want is freedom of religion. And mm -hmm. uh, honestly, I, that's where I thought David French was actually honest. He was like, he said, he said, there's never been a better time to have religious freedom in America. I mean, think of all the things. For him, yes, for him. You know, yeah, for him, yeah. You know what I mean? Like for, for, for white, if you do, if you want to not bake a cake for a, a gay person, this is your yeah, moment. This is you your know? time. This is your time. It's, it's so, not time for anybody else. No, no, it's, it's not. For them. Yeah. And it, it, it's very, it's very frustrating in the, you know, this sense of like, okay, now we're going to move it the next way. Up next, more with Anthea Butler. You can hear full episodes of The State of Belief anytime on our website at stateofbelief.com. You'll also find links to topics we discussed this week, as well as transcripts and more. And make sure you're subscribed to the Next Generation podcast at stateofbelief.com slash new podcast. You're listening to The State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. Hey there, Curious Minds. Get ready to embark on a unique journey at the crossroads of money and religion with our new podcast, Money Meet Meaning. The seductive effect of money, we think it can do the work that God does because there's something about money that does that. It's wild. I'm Amber Hacker. And I'm Tom Levinson. Tune in for a blend of wisdom and levity as we decode the path to a more meaningful relationship with money. I think giving, and this is a little crass, but I feel like it's the ultimate middle finger to money. It's liberating to give some away. This podcast is your gateway to a vibrant and thought-provoking exploration of the interconnectedness of wealth and spirituality. Join us as we unravel the surprising influence of ancient wisdom on modern finances. Faith pervades people's lives and our society. And because money is such an important part of people's lives, exploring that intersection of faith and money, I think is super, super interesting. Get ready to be informed, entertained, and inspired to transform your financial outlook with Money Meet Meaning. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the State of Belief. I'm Interfaith Alliance President, Reverend Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch. My guest is Dr. Anthea Butler. So, so I'm curious just to, you know, in your book, and I, 
is I, I think there is such a thing as evangelical Catholics, but you're probably not speaking about that subset. But certainly within the Catholic Church, there's also um, this challenge. You know, there's like right now it's fascinating to watch this kind of internecine war that's happening in American Catholicism where, you know, there's literally people who are, you know, protesting Pope Francis, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, do you follow that as well? Is that or is I, I that part? I do not as closely. I do yeah. follow it. I mean, I think these trad Catholics, as I like to call them, led by you know a bunch of bishops and the and the conference of Catholic bishops that shouldn't probably be there, but are there mm. anyway? Mm. And mm. I have said this in public numerous times. Um, are politicizing themselves. But I mean, you have to go back to the nineties. There was a statement that was made called Catholics and Evangelicals together about the things mm. that they could get together about and what they what they didn't get together about, right? And and what I have seen and what what is interesting to me is that Catholics, a, a lot of Catholics, especially foreign priests, I'll, I'll I'll push this button right here, have really embraced these kinds of evangelical belief systems and evangelical behavior and singing and everything else in order to fit in with this kind of Christian nationalist sort of positionality of Protestant Christianity in mm. order to sort of survive. And, and that's a shame. I mean, you know, the people who are Catholic, like the governor of the state of Texas, for instance, who mm. are so against immigration to the point where he put, you know, saws and razor wires up to keep people out. That is the least Catholic thing you could possibly do. If there's anybody who should be denied communion, it's Greg Abbott. I, mm. I will say it here in public. I would say it to his face. If I were a priest, I would I would not give him communion because that murderous kind of stuff is just in the face of Catholic theology and tradition. And so when you have... Catholics who embrace these kind of evangelicals ideals, you know, for, you know, this kind of critique of the Pope or anything else. It's not that you can't critique the Pope, it's the manner in which they do it. So the manner in which they do it, that is denigration, you know, the priest who just recently got sat down because he said all these awful things that was in, I believe in Texas, another one, right? It's, it's a moment in which you have to say, what are you giving up for the tradition that you believe in and that you were baptized into because mm. you want a political space and a political stance? And mm. I think that's really important for a lot of Catholics to understand is that some of these priests who have gotten into the pulpit and talked about, you know, back when Obama was in office, how terrible Obama was, how you should vote for Donald Trump, how, you know, Hillary Clinton was going to take everybody down a cliff. All of these things were just as political as evangelical pastors. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it it's uh, and, and my 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 feeling is. But, you know, again, I'm not a, I, I don't really is that on issues of race, there's also like a learning curve for, you know, for the Catholic Church, just as there is. Oh, well, for every, uh, yeah. Honestly, for everybody, everybody. Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not no like uh, mainline Protestant. Everybody. There's, uh, you know, uh, there's there's um, there's great a great deal of work to do. But I, I you know, it seems like. And right now, what you're seeing is some common cause, I think, in the Christian nationalist space between some, as you've been saying, some of the Catholic leaders and evangelical leaders who are using this idea of, like, we're a Christian nation, and so we have to have these Christian ideals, and that means um, this, this morality things. Uh, kind of, and it's it's a little comical when you think about, like, 
you know, <laughs> if you going back to the founders, they were certainly not interested in having a Catholic America. You know, I mean, yeah. it would be very, <laughs> very. And if you look at the Ku Klux Klan, they were not interested in nope. Catholics. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, so it's very, you know, it's important to to know your history. And I, you know, I, th I, th I think that's actually what you know, God and country, I think, is helpful for, uh, you yeah. know, not as not for those who need to go the next step and the next layer, but for, for those of us who kind of are being introduced to a phenomenon. What struck me, and I don't know if this, you you probably were super aware of this. I heard about it, but I didn't see it. Were all the prayer circles on January 5th, you mm -hmm. know, and who, and, and then it kind of, and then they expanded that out to people praying around the country because they knew that G Trump was anointed. Mm -hmm. The only way that he didn't win was through this kind of theft, and yeah. I think that's an operating principle out there. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, I, I think, and that's what's so dangerous. If you have it in your mind that I, I know this because God told me this, and that then, you know, then anybody in your way is just doing, is against God's will, no matter what. And, and, I, and I think, like, I can't remember who said it. It might have been you. I mean, you, you said so many good things. I'm just going to say it was you. But it was like, if, if, if it's democracy versus their their version of you know theocracy, theocracy uh democracy is going to lose exactly and and i think that's what it feels so terrifying this year i mean we're like we're, i'm just kind of someone mentioned something and, and oh i know what it was i saw i was watching the super bowl and there was a there was a um a wicked uh, an advertisement for wicked and i was like oh that's awesome when is that coming it was like you know coming out in like thanksgiving 2024 i was like that's after the i don't are we going to be around like i i you know i was just like that feels like a lifetime away i hope we're all able to go and enjoy ourselves some wicked because it looks great. But um, so in this mm -hmm. moment of turmoil, how are you talking about what can be done? I'm not trying. I mean, I like you're pessimistic. I respect that. But mm -hmm. if, if, if you were, you know, for those of us who are kind of out there trying to do the work as mm -hmm. well as we can uh, and really rallying people. Uh, in in locations where Christian nationalism has taken over the the levers of government in Florida, in Oklahoma, in North that's where all places where Interfaith Alliance has affiliates. Yeah. What do you think is the important message that we can offer, and s some way to kind of make sure that we get we get beyond this point? Well, I think the first thing people can do is to not say vote but to actually participate. What do I mean by that mm, is that mm. it's important to vote. It's important to get people registered to vote. But if you think voting is the only thing that's going to do it, you are sorely mistaken. Because now what we've got is a problem. People are entrenched. Let me give you an example. Outside of uh, Philadelphia, I can't remember which school board it was, but they basically had to kick out uh, a right-wing school board president and found out that he had taken a lot of money and that these, you know, religious right people, and to use the old terminology, had captured the school board. You got to go to school board meetings. You got to go to local governmental things. You got to be a participant. You have to help organize people 
on the ground so that you're not just doing voting, but you're there when these bad things happen. You are there, you know, protesting at the legislature. You are there when these things are, are about to pop off in school boards where they have lined up to talk about what they what books they want to ban and everything else. You have to be involved on a local level. If you're not involved on a local level, then it doesn't matter. Some of us have different things. I write and I speak. I talk about this in my, you know, in the ways in which how we can start to expand our knowledge about what is actually happening. But you're not going to be the people at the Heritage Foundation. You're not going to be all that money. But what you can do is inform people about what Heritage is doing. You can inform people about, did you see that document where they want to change the whole government? Here, let me give you a copy of this. I know this is really hard, but we got some summaries out here that summarizes everything. You should know this. You should think about this when you're voting. You should think about, you know, how do you research the people that you're going to vote for? Don't just vote straight ticket. What we've been finding out is that there's a lot of people who are masquerading as Democrats that are really Republicans that change their party after they get elected. Mm. So just voting simply is not enough. You need to be educated and you mm. need to spread the word with your friends. You need to be involved in the local, state and national levels. A hundred percent. Well, it's 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 wonderful because you're 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 articulating the um you know, the, the, what, what we are doing, Interfaith Alliance, all across the country, and it, it is making a difference because, uh, honestly, the whole genesis of this you know, organization in the 90s was that Ralph Reed and the Christian Coalition, they were just saying, okay, we represent a re religion in America, and we're going to tell you what religious people think. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's, we, Interfaith Alliance, got you know, a, a bunch of people got together and said, oh, but you don't represent religion. And the truth is, is that Christian nationalists and these people who are showing up and say we want to ban books don't represent the majority of religious people in America. On LGBT issues, they don't represent the uh, majority of religious. On abortion, they don't represent the majority of, of religion. On censorship, they don't uh, represent the majority. So we, we but we also need to take back the narrative and just say this is you know to to ban things is 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 you know it is going to there's no way that will end up good for our country and um and, and by the way if you can't handle Tony Morrison, you can't handle going to college. So just end, yeah. just end it right there and say, yeah. like, if, if if you are too, I mean, if you are too sensitive to write, read the great, you know, literature of our, you know, of, of the 20th century, then you, you just shouldn't go to college because you're not able to handle real learning. And I think that's like, there's a through line to, you know, to this conversation so far, which I love is like, just examine what's going on around you. Mm -hmm. Take the time to learn, whether it's your own tradition, examine it. And what, what have you not been taught there? What can we learn from one another? And all of that can be put into the service of showing up for our democracy. I mean, you know, that is like achieving democracy together. You've all heard it. That's our new tagline. That's what we're about. And uh, uh, Dr. Butler just laid it out. I mean, this is what we have to do. This is where we are. Um, 
This is a terrible thing to ask you because I live with an author and they hate it when you ask them this. But are you working on anything right now? I'm going to just risk it. Is there anything I'm that I'm staying alive? But uh, I that's go fine. Leave. That's good. Now I'm, I, I go on leave and I will be working on a book. But um, as someone so rightly said on X or Twitter, as we used to call it, okay. the other day, is that I don't put my stuff out here because people like to steal. So I Oh think yeah, there we go. That's fine. That's good. That's good. Okay. Like this, I'll be working in a similar vein. And that'll that's, be that yeah. is I think that's perfectly uh, the completely right. And uh but I, I, I do appreciate all the work. What are some of the other things that people can find about your work out there? What are some of the other um the other you you've you've been at this game for a while, this academic yeah. game, this, you know. Um, what are some of the other uh, books that we should lift up that people who, if they want to go deeper, should could could go well, go and learn? I think you know, if you wanted to get a line on race, you could definitely uh, look at my chapter in the sixteen nineteen book on on the Black mm. Church, where I've written uh-huh. about that. Um, you can follow me at MSNBC. I'm an opinion writer for MSNBC, so I usually write twice a month for them, and that's a, that's a huge corpus of material that I have there. Um, I have speaking engagements. I'll be kind of winding those down as I get prepared to get ready for leave. But yeah, um, yeah you can pretty much find me on YouTube and just click my name in and you'll find a ton of stuff. That is fantastic. That's, that's it's there. A, yeah. Well, um, so this, this is an impossible question, but I just like, everyone comes up to me and is like, we're gonna lose, we're gonna lose. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, not to get, you know, not to get partisan, but like people yeah. are like very freaked out right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, I, I'm not, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I think a lot can happen in in 10 months that we don't even know what could happen. Yeah. Um, but uh, how are you like this? This is this is where I want to go with that question. You're saying you're taking care of yourself. Do you what do you do? I mean, how uh, how do you maintain? I think a lot of you know a lot of people in this time are just really trying to figure out like how do I, how do I survive? How do how, but not just you know how do I survive well? Like how well, do I you, you know? know? I think one of the things that I do survive well that you know I, I learned a long time ago was the moment that Elon Musk took over Twitter. I locked my account because I just didn't want to listen to a bunch of people coming at me with stuff all the time. I just, you know, basically said, you know, enough of that. This is not a, I I believe in democracy, but not on social media. If it's my social media feed, I get to lock you out if I don't like you. And I just do. And I lock you out because I don't need to hear all of your stuff. That's one thing. I, I think the second thing I do that's really important for me is to look at different news sources other than the traditional ones. Mm. And that's really important because we're losing a lot of our journalism in this country right now. I don't think we people sure really are. understand that, which is a great setup for fascism. It's a it's right. a great setup for autocratic government that you right. don't have you know, outlets that are giving you the truth, right? So you have to look for those, whether they're in your country or overseas. And so I do that a lot. I think the third thing that I do a lot is that I don't listen to stupidity. And what I mean by that is that if you're a dumb commentator, I'm not paying attention to you. 
I just, just not, I think they're people who fill themselves with the same thing over and over and over again. And you have to learn how to branch out. And then the other thing is, is that you need to be aware of what the government is or isn't doing. Now, most of the time our government isn't doing anything because we have people in the house and the Senate who don't want to do anything. Right. Mm -hmm. But you need to know mm -hmm. when things are coming up. So on important days, like last week, when the hearing was at the Supreme court about whether or not, you know, Trump could be on the ballot, you need to pay attention to that. Right. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. that's about, you know, a democratic process and whether or not this person who incited, you know, 1-6 is going to be on the ballot or not. I think you pay attention to those important times. <laughs> and the last but most important thing for me is that, you know, and I realize this is, this is something that I am able to do. I get out of the country because I need to see something else besides America. Because mm -hmm. sometimes, we, you know, it's a lovely country. There's beauty here. There are great people here. Sometimes we're really damn toxic. Mm. It does really. It, it, and, and, you know, especially if you're paying attention like you do, you kind of bathe in this toxicity. Yeah. And, yeah. and in, in some ways, like I remember like being in, you know, being in, in, uh, in Spain, um, and, you know, kind of in, in when this mm. country just felt so terrible and I knew it was going on, but I just needed, you know, it wasn't they had their own problems, but they were not my problems. And I just needed that time just to go, OK, I just for uh, just for a few days, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to have to be all about the problems. And uh, I know that is exactly what you said. That's a luxury. But it is like it's important to realize mm. like. Uh, humanity is not just this and my yeah. life doesn't have to just be this. Um, yeah, exactly. One of the things that we like to do on this show, which you or may, you may or may not want to do, but we like to ask people what gives them hope. Now, I know that you've already said you're pessimistic and that you're like, you know, not exactly in the hope business. But uh, is there is there any place you turn to right now that is giving you hope uh, to share with our listeners? I think the thing that gives me hope is that there are people who are organizing and, and doing things and, and trying to make sure that we don't fall into the space. I mean, I, I like to call us the people who are the watchmen on the tower who are mm. saying, wake up, wake up, wake up, you know, and, mm. and those, some of those people like are my friends of mine, like Jeff Charlotte and others, uh -huh. you know, there's, there's lots of different organizations that are doing this. And so rather than single out, people, I would just say where I find hope is that for the people who don't give up hope and those who are always, you know, who are always fighting for a more just society. I'm thinking about prison culture on, um, she used to be on Twitter, but now is on Blue Sky. You know, people who have been fighting these local battles for a long time and, and wanting to do something different and being encouraged by the work that they're doing, first of all. I think the second thing that probably encourages me more is that I think that my students are smarter and, and that's an interesting way to put it is that, you know, they may be going through struggles and, and things, but I think that they see the world that has been created for them and they don't want to accept that. Mm. And I think that's an interesting, that is an interesting place. I, I hope that they don't get run over by, you know, a whole bunch of, um, you know, basically overly rich dude bros who think they can run the world with tech and, and just that and not anything else. It's not that I have anything against tech. I just think that they want simplistic answers. And so mm. I think about them and I hope that the world is going to be a better place for them. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I when I was at, I, I, I will say like, you know, Penn and, and Princeton, like 
it is it is encouraging and even hopeful mm -hmm. to see the questions they're asking and the curiosity and like the willingness to kind of put themselves in it uh, in in hopes that they 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 might uh, emerge uh, with some better ideas and better yeah. solutions. And that is like really, it, it, you know, and that's not, that's not just the Ivies. I would say that anywhere that people are allowed to ask good questions, that's the problem is that we're having now people take over universities and you're not allowed to ask the mm -hmm. good questions. You're not mm -hmm. allowed to put, but, but where you can, it is, it is beautiful to see what happens. I want to just take one minute to talk about Jeff Charlotte's book, The Undertow. Did you get a chance to read that? I blurbed it. I read it before you, you all did. Thank you. Okay. Of course you did. Of course you did. Anyway, I just found that, you know, one of the, it, it was one of the most important and disturbing books I've read this last year, which just about, um, especially that, um, the essay chapter that bore the title about, his travels mm -hmm. through kind of Christian militia America yeah. and the, and the presence of guns and the presence mm -hmm. of violence. And I just mm -hmm. think like, you know, we haven't really talked about, or I mean, it's been the subtext of everything we've talked about, but you know, the violence yeah, and the I willingness mean, yeah. to use it, you know I yeah. mean? This is the, this is the very, um, you know, there, there's an intimidation and, and, um, a kind of terrorism impulse that is being wielded here in order to suppress any sort of dissent. And so... I think that if you knew the history of America, you wouldn't be surprised by that. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, you know, I, I think, you know, Jeff wrote a brilliant book. I, you know, we talk a lot about this. And I think that for most people, if you don't know history, you don't know about redemption after the Civil War. You don't pay attention to all the things that the KKK did. You don't right. pay attention to all the lynchings. You don't pay attention right. to anything. So, we're a good nation, right? right? These people who are doing the stuff that Jeff wrote about are not any different than those people in the 1870s. That's right. No, that's right. That's They're right. just not. And and they have the same kind of idealism and they have the same kind of lust and, you know, thirst for power. That's and right. I think that we are naive to think that if you have Christian language, like onward Christian soldiers, that you're not going to have Christians hearing guns and ready to shoot somebody. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, you know, I've, I've, I speak around the country and people just say, you know, we, we say show up to school boards and people are scared to show up. To yeah, school they probably are because, scared to school boards. You know, because, you know. because, because they will get, um, they will get attacked. They will get intimidated. They will get doxxed. They will get, you know I mean? If you, if you oppose. So it, we're in a, we're in a very precarious situation, but I, I, you know, we, we have to, as you say, we have to engage in democracy. We have to participate in democracy and, and do what we can. Um, and I do think, you know, I, I my sense is like it, what we're what we're seeing, I would say, at Interfaith Alliance right now is that where people actually get aware of what's happening around them and begin to have a language for it and, and belatedly, but all of a sudden they're like, okay, no, we don't have to take this. We can show up yeah, and, exactly. and, and we can invite more people and then we can show up for even more. And now, like, we, you know, we can actually be the majority at the school board meetings. Mm -hmm. and, and then next election cycle, we can actually vote people who reflect our values. And, you know, and, and, and I, so I think my hope is, is that we're, you know, my, you know 
glass half empty, glass half full. You know, yeah. that hopefully we're in a moment where people are waking up to this in all the different ways that we need to wake up to it and saying, no, I'm going to, sh- I am going to participate and we're not going to be alone. And we, mm-hmm. and, and we can't let this happen because there, there's no future here. Dr. Anthea Butler is Geraldine R. Siegel Professor in American Social Thought and Chair of the Department of Religious Studies at the University of Pennsylvania. Her latest book is titled White Evangelical Racism, The Politics of Morality in America. Dr. Butler is featured in the new documentary film, God and Country, which opened nationwide on February 16th. Dr. Butler, thank you so much for being with us here on The State of Belief. It is so great to hear you, and I feel hope uh, just talking to you, and, uh, and I, hope, I, hope that you, I hope that you are well and that all might be well. <laughs> thank you, Paul. I'm planning on it. Be sure to subscribe to The State of Belief at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Or go to stateofbelief.com slash new podcast. We need your help to keep making the state of belief. Become a partner today in this crucial work with a financial contribution. Information on how to donate is available at stateofbelief.com. That's stateofbelief.com. And share what you're getting out of this show with the people in your networks. Let's get more people listening and keep these conversations going at Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is at stateofbelief. The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Religion News Service or Religion News Foundation. The State of Belief is produced by Ray Kirstein and is a production of Interfaith Alliance. Become a member today at interfaithalliance.org. And be sure to join us next week. I'll be talking with journalist and best-selling author Tim Alberta. His latest book is titled The Kingdom, The Power, and the Glory, American Evangelicals in an Age of Extremism. I can't wait. Until then, I'm Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch on The State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet.